All right, so here we are in Genesis chapter 5, and Genesis chapter 5 is pretty much nothing but, you know, who was born and how long they lived. But at the same time, there is a lot that we can get from uh, this chapter right here. And um, uh, just a couple things I want to mention. So just a reminder of last week. So last week, when we did Genesis chapter 4, I went and I made the case that the sons of God in Genesis chapter 6 were the descendants of Seth, not angels that came down from heaven. Okay. Now, I do want to say again, you know, people, there's people that believe that, that are good people. Uh, you're not unsaved if you believe that doctrine. That doctrine wouldn't even get you kicked out of our church. Okay. If people disagree with me on that, that's fine. But at the same time, I, I do believe very strongly that they are the sons of Seth. But this is, this is one of those areas where at the end of the day, it doesn't really change a whole lot. But, it is, and there's all different levels of crazy you can go to with the Nephilim doctrine. There's all different levels of crazy, and not everyone is equally crazy. Obviously, if you're listening to like a Ruckmanite version of it, I mean, it gets really weird. But at the same time, the reason I do care about this subject is because of the fact that the Bible study methods that people are using, or the Bible interpretation methods that people are using, to come up with this idea that it was angels, I believe is very dangerous, and I also believe it is dependent on using books other than the Bible. I believe just using the Bible, there's no other option than these are the descendants of Seth. And so I made that claim, but I did not conclusively prove it. I am also going to make this claim still in this chapter, and I'm going to give more proof, but it will still not be conclusively proved just yet. The final nail in the coffin is coming next week in chapter 6. So I, I, I'm, I'm having a tough time with this because I'm so anxious to kind of preach it all to prove my point. But I've got to leave everybody hanging a little bit. That's, uh, that's the way we're going to have to get through this. But there's some important things that we need to see with chapter 5 because, again, I'm going to just t- mark it down. Anyone who preaches the Nephilim doctrine, they have to start in Genesis 6 and ignore chapters 4 and 5. I'm spending all this time on chapter 4 and 5 because they are the key to understanding chapter 6. Nothing that is in this Bible is here for no reason. God did not just put fillers in here. Okay, These names that are mentioned, the people that are brought up in these genealogies are there for a reason, especially in Genesis. And they play a part later in the Bible... And so when you, when you have, if, if the Nephilim doctrine is true, then what is the point of some of these stories? What was the point of Lamech and his two wives? You know, what was the point of that? You know, about him talking about killing the two people. What was the point if, you know, that has nothing to do with chapter 6? It, it does, and I'm going to give further proof that it does as we go through chapter 5. So let's go ahead and start reading in verse 1. It says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man in the likeness of God made he him, male and female created he them, and blessed them, and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. And notice how God called their name Adam. Why didn't he call them Adam and Eve? You know why? Because they too shall be one flesh. And that is why I believe the woman takes on the name of the man, traditionally. Okay, unless you're, you know, Hillary Rodham Clinton or you're some feminist. Okay, feminists don't like doing that. But God called them Adam, and Adam called her Eve. So feminists might not like that, but there's a lot they don't like in the Bible. They're just going to have to get over it. So verse three, and Adam lived in 130 years and beget a son in his own likeness. After his image, 
and called his name Seth. Now, let me ask you a question. This right here says this is the book of the generations of Adam. But, so why isn't Cain or Abel mentioned in here? Why isn't Cain and Abel? I mean, this is the book of the generations, right? If, if we believe that, uh, you know, the Nephilim doctrine, you know, all this stuff here is just filler, and it's just telling us, you know, this is just, it's just telling us the genealogies for no reason. Well, then why isn't it including everybody? And, and do we really think that Adam only had three kids? Do we really think all these people mentioned had three kids? Why is it only focusing on one person in each line? You know why? Because this is ultimately taking us to Abraham. This is showing us the line to Abraham. That's where we're going. We're going somewhere. In Genesis chapter 1 through 10, it's we're heading to Abraham is where we're going because ultimately we're heading to Israel. That's why there's only one person mentioned. So Cain is not mentioned in here. But you know, his, his genealogy was recorded in chapter 4. But now we're at Seth. Now we're following a different line, a specific line. Not everyone is being named. We're following a line, a specific line, and we're following it to a certain place. We're ultimately following it to Abraham. So, you know, because, so because this isn't about everyone that was born, it is focusing on a specific line taking us to Abraham. So chapter 4 followed Cain, and it followed it for a reason. And now it's following Seth's, and we're following Seth's for a reason. So verse 4 says, And the days of Adam after he begotten Sarah, or Seth, uh, were 800 years, and he begat sons and daughters. Why, why doesn't it name them? Because they they're not relevant to this story. It, it, it's not, this isn't about who all Adam had for kids. This is about a specific person. It's taking us to Abraham. It says, and Seth, um, and all the days of Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. And I like this too because I had somebody tell me one time, a preacher was preaching, and he was talking about how five is the number of death. I was like, really? Five is the number of death? And I said, like, where do you get that from? Genesis chapter 5. And he died, and he died, and he died. I'm like, yeah, but it also says, and he lived, and he lived, and he lived, and he began, and he began. <laughs> so I was like, that's just stupid. The numerology people always get weird, but every time I read this chapter, I think about that guy. And just like, what, what an idiot. But it says, um, in verse 6, and Seth lived 105 years, and begat Enos. And Seth lived after he begat Enos 807 years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. And Enos lived 90 years, and begat Canaan. And Enos lived after he begat Canaan. 815 years and begat sons and daughters and all the days of Enos were 905 years and he died and Canaan lived 70 years and begat Mahalalel and Canaan lived after begat Mahalalel 840 years and begat sons and daughters and all the days of Canaan were 910 years and he died and Mahalalel lived 60 and 5 years and begat Jared and Mahalalel begat after begat Jared or 830 years and begat sons and daughters and all the days of Mahalalel were 890 and 5 years and he died and Jared lived 160 and two years and begat Enoch. And Jared lived after begat Enoch 800 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared were 960 and two, and he died. And Enoch lived 60 and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were uh, 360 and five years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not. For God took him. So notice how it's just going down the line. It's given us nothing but how old they were 
uh, you know, you know, how long they lived, you know, who they begat, and then it gets to Enoch, and it stops, and it focuses some, some special attention on Enoch. Now, there's no doubt he was a very special person, but, you know, none of these things are in here by accident, okay? And look at what it says about Enoch. Well, you know, you know it says, what does it say in Hebrews 11, verse 5? The Bible says that Enoch, walked with, all right, it talks about how Enoch had this testimony that he pleased God, okay? He, he was not for God took life. He had this testimony that he pleased God. Now, the book of Genesis does not tell us anything that Enoch did, but the very next verse in Hebrews when it says that he pleased God, it says without faith it is impossible to please him. So I think it's safe to say that Enoch was a man of faith. And because of that, he pleased God and God ended up taking him. He did not see death. Jude chapter 1 and verse 14 we see Enoch mentioned again, and it says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all, and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So notice a couple things there that Enoch, first off, he's called the seventh from Adam. And that's the title tonight, the seventh from Adam. Hey, the seventh from Adam. Let's let's keep that in mind. Enoch is the seventh from Adam. Now, once again, what are we seeing here in Genesis chapter five? It's just giving us the line. It's following the line, but it stops. It gives special attention to Enoch here, and Enoch we know from the New Testament obviously was preaching against the wickedness. He was preaching against sin. Hey, there's no doubt about that from what we read in Jude. So I believe it is safe to say that it was it, during Enoch's days, the world was getting wicked. But, and while the world is getting wicked, notice Enoch is walking with God to the point where God said, you know, I'm taking you to heaven with me. Okay. And the pre-tribbers love to bring up Enoch as a picture of the rapture because Enoch, uh, you know, he was taken out before the flood. Well, he was also taken out 669 years before the flood. That was close. He was 365 when he uh, when God took him. So had he lived you know, till the flood, he'd have been over a thousand years old. Nobody lived that long. Okay? So that's just a stupid argument. But pre-tribbers are dependent on typology, and I'm not going to say a lot about that because I got some stuff coming up on that for the radio program. But anyway, I'm looking forward to recording tomorrow. But anyway. I just, had to, I just had to throw that out there because I was told that again this week about how Enoch is a type of the rapture. I'm thinking, you've got to stop listening to Sam Gitt. And he's already been made to look stupid on that doctrine. But we're going, to go, we're going to talk a little more about Enoch here in a little bit. Let's go through the rest of the genealogies here. So it says, Methuselah lived 180 and 7 years and begat Lamech. And Methuselah lived after begat Lamech 780 and 2 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. And Lamech lived in 180 and two years, and begat a son. And he called his name Noah, saying, The same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands, because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. And Lamech lived after he begat Noah 595 years, and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Lamech were 770 and seven years, and he died. And Noah was 500 years old, and, and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. All right, so now where do we go from here? What can we learn from this chapter 
since all we have here are genealogies. Okay? Well, once again, this isn't random. This is here for a reason, and chapters 4 and 5 are setting up chapter 6, where it explains how the whole world went bad. And, the, and it's also showing where these two lines come together. Okay, now let's look at, first off, a couple of coincidences that just aren't coincidences. Okay? Now you might want to say these are just coincidences, but they're not. Okay, there's no way. Now let me get my little chart here to help you all out with. It's important that, I want to show you this too, to put in perspective you know what we're talking about here. Understand this chapter here, you've got to understand it covers centuries. You all realize that? It covers centuries. And people, they want to go and look in these chapters and they want to find things there that could have happened. And in centuries, where all it gives us is basically the names of people and how long they lived, anything could have happened. And you know, while you might want to find a certain thing, it just might not be there. So you know what you need to do? You need to focus on what's actually there. That's what we need to actually do. But I want to show you this just to get perspective. So think about this. Adam would be 930 years old. This over here represents the year they were born. So Adam, he would have lived to see Methuselah. Adam was on the earth the same time as Methuselah. Adam was on the earth the same time as Enoch. Okay, so... Um, and hopefully those are lined up right. In fact, you know, Enoch, he went... Uh, to heaven not long after Adam had died. Notice too that Noah, okay, this is just an interesting side note. Noah would have been the first of these men in this line that did not see Adam. You know, and I heard a preacher say it this one time, because you know, really good proof, and, and this is just kind of a story here, but if I can steal the story, it's it, it's it's interesting. But it's interesting that the world was really going bad during that time. Because think about it. Adam literally walked with God while he was on earth, didn't he? And he was able to tell everybody about it up until you get into Noah's generation. You know, and anybody didn't believe it, you know what Adam could do that no one else could do? He could lift his shirt up and show everyone, I don't have a belly button. <laughs> everybody else in the world has one. And so people are going to know, man, he's telling the truth here. He, you know, he kind of had that, he kind of had that proof. And so I heard some say, you know, that's why things got so bad then, because you have this new generation that rises up that didn't know Adam, the one who actually did walk with God. You know, it's an interesting thing to think about. You know, we, we often don't think about these things, but, you know, Adam was around for all that stuff. Did you know that Shem, I might be wrong, we'll get to this later. You know, I, I believe Shem died after Abraham died. Shem lived long enough to have met Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Some people teach that Shem was Melchizedek. Okay? You don't get that from the Bible. You get that from the book of Jasher. Okay? But it's an, an interesting theory, but it, it doesn't fit with what we read in the New Testament about Melchizedek. But anyway, this kind of gives you an idea. But now notice, we've got Adam, Seth, Enos, Canaan, Mahalil, Jared, Enoch. Seven, number seven, right? He is the seventh from Adam. So, no, so we have, you know, there's no doubt, I believe, during Enoch's day that that's when the world became a very wicked place. And I believe that the union between Seth and Cain's line took place during this day. Okay? And they say, well, you're reading it, you're reading into that. Well, you know, some of these things are just kind of coincidental. 
And I don't believe these things are a coincidence. Okay? So, because here's the thing. Who else was the seventh from Adam? That's what we need to ask ourselves. It's interesting that we get we have special attention to Enoch, but now let's go and look at Cain's line. Go back to chapter 4. All right? I want you to look at your Bibles. Special emphasis is given on Enoch, the seventh from Adam, in these genealogies here. One, because he was an exceptional man. He never died. But it was important that he was this way because this was during a time when people aren't having faith. You know, this was a guy, too, according to Jude. He's standing up against it. He's preaching about coming judgment, all right? So let's go over here and let's write down the other lines. We've got Adam again. Because remember, you know, Adam was Cain's father. And then we have Cain. All right, now who's after Cain? It was Enos, right? Or uh, Enoch? Enoch. Enoch, all right. And then who's after Enoch? Irad. And then was it Mahujael? Mahujael. And then Methusael. I'll probably spell some of these wrong. Say Methusael. And then Laman. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Laman. Isn't it interesting that special attention was focused on Lamech, the seventh from Adam, in chapter 4 too? Remember the claim that I made? It was during Lamech's day that they began to become wicked. What did Lamech do? He took him two wives that's mentioned. So, well, it doesn't say it was a sin right there. Well, we know for the rest of the Bible it was wrong to have multiple wives. He's the first one that we see doing it. We see Lamech is a guy who kills two men and then just declares himself exempt, pretty much. If Lamech should, or if Cain should be event sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. We're seeing how they're going lawless in there. And then when we get to chapter six, one of the things that says, "When the sons of God saw the daughters of men, says they took them wives of all which they chose." You know what they're doing? The sons of God, this side over here, starting to act like this side over here. And it was during Lamech's day that it went bad. And understand too. You say, well, you know, the chances are there's a big difference in the year. But remember, these guys lived for centuries. Okay? They lived for centuries. These things didn't happen overnight. Okay? They didn't happen. In, now, I believe it happened in a generation, but it's not like our generation that is considered about 40 years. Okay? Or 70 years if you're wanting to look at a full lifespan. These things happened over centuries, but it was during Enoch. And Lamech's day, when I believe that the world started going bad. And that's why special attention, we've got Lamech who's doing his own thing, making up his own laws, but we've got Enoch who's walking with God, a man of faith, preaching against the wickedness, preaching about the coming judgment of God that's going to come upon the earth. That's just kind of a coincidence, isn't it? And so then, when we get to chapter 6, if we're just, re remember, the chapter divisions were put in later. If we're just reading the Bible for what it says, it's not hard to figure out that we're reading chapter 4, line of Cain, chapter 5, because at 5, we're reading uh, the line of Seth. Chapter 6, we're seeing where it all went bad and where they come, to, where they come together. Because then it mentions Lamech too. He begat, and mentions Jubal, Jabal, and Tubal Cain. And these were the guys that were the innovative guys. The one who figured out, hey, you know what? Let's live in tents. You know, let's, let's make tents. Let's learn to have shelter. Let's use cattle. 
and well, let's do all these things to benefit us so we can thrive as a society since the Lord has cursed the ground and it's not yielding her strength to us. So I, I believe it was during that time. And, okay, so remember, none of these things are in here by accident. So remember, Cain's line, God cursed the ground for them, remember? Now, it was during Lamech's day, or, or, or Enoch's day, when things start going bad, where the lines start coming together. When we get to Lamech, notice what Lamech named his son Noah. Let's turn over back to chapter 5. And it says, um, And Lamech lived 180 and two years and got a son, and he called his name Noah, saying, This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. Now, I understand that God cursed the ground for Adam, too. But notice how when he named him Noah, he's seeing Noah as this guy who's going to you know, change things. You know, who's going to make things better because of the ground the Lord has cursed. It's very likely that if they're all intermingling with these cursed people over here, that the things aren't going as good for them anymore. You know, if they're all intermingling with these people over here, the ground's not yielding their strength anymore to them either. And so because of that, because of the hard times that's going on across the board, isn't it hard times that usually causes people to start going to war with each other? And what do we see highlighted in chapter 6 as the great sin? Violence going on. There was, it was the violence. That's the thing that keeps being mentioned in chapter 6. You say, you know, Brother Tommy, you know, you're, you're, you're adding a lot. You're, you're, well, first off, everything I'm adding is based on all these specific facts that are being given in Genesis chapter 4, 5, and 6. Where the Nephilim doctrine, it's, there's nothing, there is nothing. Do you realize it's impossible to teach the Nephilim doctrine just from Genesis chapter 6? You have to go to other places in the Bible with scriptures that are very vague. If we have time, we might get to some of these. That could be interpreted multiple ways. That ultimately aren't talking about the union of angels and men. If people are just assuming that based on their interpretation of chapter 6, and their interpretation of chapter 6 is not taking into consideration any of these details that are mentioned. Okay, At least what I'm coming up with is based on all these details that are given. It looks like when Noah was born, things weren't going real good when it came to growing things. Because that's why Lamech named him Noah. He's thinking it's, it's going to be better with him. So, you know, if, if you believe the Nephilim doctrine, these are all just pointless details, okay, that lead nowhere. So, I, I believe it was during these days that the line of Seth started practicing what the line of Cain had been doing in multiplying wives to themselves. And Lamech's line, it reminds us too, this is just another side note, that man does not become better with technology. Because think about that. Here, after they started to thrive as an evil people, notice what happened. The world just got filled with violence. You know, where before, if there was another village somewhere and they had a lot of nice possessions, well, you know, good for them. It's theirs. What are we going to do about it? But then somebody started, you know, making, figuring out how to make things with iron, learn how to make an axe, learn how to make a sword. I could do some serious damage with this. You know, if we all make up a bunch of swords... You know, if we have weapons and they don't, we could go take all that stuff. You know, that's why you got to worry about people who want weapons for themselves and don't want other people to have them. Like our government. 
You know, they can have them, but we can't. That makes it easy for them to take things from you that they want. And that's what they ended up doing. We're seeing that today. Our folks, are we getting better with all this technology that we're getting? No, the world's becoming worse. And it's not that technology is evil. It's that man is evil. And technology often highlights that evil. And I believe it did during Lamech's day too. So, in chapter 6, it is noted in verse 9. Turn over to chapter 6, verse 9. Look what it says about Noah. It says that he was perfect in his generation. It says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. It sounds just like his great-grandfather, Enoch. Okay. Now, the Nephilim crowd will say that this means Noah's line was not contaminated by angelic DNA. That's what what they would try to say. But it wasn't until the days... But, uh, you know, the, the, the problem with that is that the only generations that Genesis records are... Cain and Seth's. So it just got done in chapters 4, going through Cain's generations. In chapter 5, it goes through Seth's generations. And then when you get to chapter 6, and it's talking about two groups intermarrying with each other, it says that Noah was perfect in his generations. So why wouldn't I just assume, as somebody who's reading Genesis by itself, and I haven't read Job which hopefully we'll get to, why wouldn't, I, why wouldn't I assume that, you know what, this line, or Noah's line, didn't get involved over here. So now while things went bad during Enoch's days, while all, because remember, Adam had a bunch of kids. Seth probably had a bunch, all these guys probably had a bunch of kids. So there would have been thousands, maybe millions of people that it could have been intermarrying over here, but you know who didn't intermarry? Enoch, because it was during his days it started. And you know what, Methuselah, he didn't, enter, he didn't get his wife from over there. He got his wife from this line. Lamech, he didn't get his wife from over in that crowd. He got it from this line. While everybody else, you know, we're all, all Lamech's brothers are going and marrying girls from Cain's line. He didn't. And Noah didn't either. So Noah is somebody who's perfect in his generations. He's not, he's not with them. He doesn't, he's not carrying that curse that came with Cain's line. Noah didn't have it. Why? Because he was perfect in his generations. And doesn't that make sense based on everything that we've read in chapter 4 and 5, in in light of chapter 4 and 5? You know, and it doesn't say anything about angelic DNA here. It's people are just assuming in chapter 6, sons of God mean angels. And that's wrong. You can't can't do that. So it's also important we take note of the fact that Noah lived 500 years before the flood came which would have given the world a great deal of time to get wicked. Because remember, it started here in 687. Noah wasn't born until 1056 and lived another 500 years. So understand, almost 1,000 years pass from Enoch till the flood. So what had been going on had been going on for a long time. So 1,000 years later, or 500 years later when Noah was born, for him to not still... Have intermarried in that crowd when everybody else has been doing that? That's pretty good. Okay? That, that's real good. So we got to take those things into consideration. And so Genesis 4 and 5, and especially chapter 6, they literally 
cover centuries, and those details that are given, they're given for a reason. Okay, these things are not—they're not just, uh, you know, it's, it's not dark, it's not cryptic. Okay, it's telling us all these things for a reason, and it's important that we that we pay attention to this and that we understand this. And so, um, you know, I forgot a page of my notes up here, but look, go ahead and look back. At, let's go ahead and look at chapter 6 real quick. I just want to point out a couple things to you. In chap, uh, so it says, and it came to pass, so keep this in mind. Well, um, go back to um, chapter 5 in verse 32. It says, and Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Okay. Now, this is another interesting thing, too, just kind of proof that we're heading for Abraham. Okay. Does anybody know who was Noah's oldest son? Right, Japheth. Now, a lot of people assume it was Shem, okay. but it was Japheth. The Bible, when we, and, I, and I don't have that page in my notes. We'll see it uh, when we get to the later chapter. The Bible refers to Japheth as the elder, but Shem is mentioned first. Why? Because he's the most important. Because he's the line that we're following. We're going to Abraham. And the same thing too, when it gets to when we get to Abraham, a lot of people make the foolish mistake that Abraham was born because you can follow the line and you know the years, and they'll say Abraham was born in the year nineteen forty eight after creation. Well, what year did Israel become a nation? Nineteen forty eight, right? But the thing is, it's because it says, and Terah lived like 60 years, I think, or something like that, and begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran. But if you go and you do the math and you look at when when Terah died, and then how old Abraham was when that took place, you'll find out, no, actually, Abraham was not the firstborn. That he was actually born 60 years later. He was actually born 2008 years after creation. So there goes your 1948 thing. And I have burst some preachers' bubbles big time with that before. There was one preacher one time, he was, man, he was making, he was proven, you know, Israel still God's chosen people, and he was making a huge deal about how 1948, oh, you, that's a coincidence. That's not a coincidence, that's there for a reason. And then I just went and I like gave him some scriptures too, because the Bible too, if you go to the New Testament, it's not super clear. When you're reading in Genesis, but it's super clear when you go to the New Testament how old Abraham was when his father died, and, beca- and I mean it proves beyond any shadow of a doubt it was 2000. And he did; he like had to admit he was wrong, and he like cut that part out of the sermon. <laughs> and, and I enjoyed bursting his bubble. And Brian Sharp's been going around preaching this, that for years, making a big deal about that. But and, and, and when we get to that chapter, we'll, we'll have some fun with that. But uh, you know the, the, the reason. Shem's mentioned is because he is the most important, right? Because we're following a line. So when we get to chapter 6, and it came to pass, when men began to multiply in the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. So now let me ask you, where's the evidence of these being angels? Okay. Tell me what is the, could there possibly be from Genesis that would give any indication that these are angels? We don't see them call, angels called sons of God anywhere else in the book of Genesis. 
So one thing that the Nephilim doctrine requires you to do, it requires you to start going to other books of the Bible to define things. Where if we just let Genesis define itself, I don't see how you could in any way, shape, or form get that being angels. So let's go over to Job, all right? I want to spend some time kind of going over some uh, bonus points. I'm missing a whole page of my notes up here. That really aggravates me. And so I'm going to I'm going to have to do some of this by memory, uh, which is never a good thing. That's all right. I still got one more week to cover this stuff. But anyway, Job chapter one. Okay, so what people will do, they'll go to Job and they will prove to you from the book of Job that sons of God are angels. Okay, now let's let's look at what it says in Job chapter one and in verse uh, we'll start reading in verse six. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Now right there is proof that they're angels, right? They're coming to present themselves before the Lord. It says the same thing in chapter 2. Again, verse 1, again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. Proof, right? But they're angels. Well, no, that doesn't prove it, but Job 38 proves it, right? Now let's go over to Job chapter 38. Nobody who preaches the sons of God or fallen angels doctrine is going to avoid going to Job chapter 38. Mark it down. Everyone who wants to teach that the sons of God are angels are going to go to Job chapter 38. Every time. Now let's look at what it says in verse 1. So then the Lord, because context is always very helpful. Context is very helpful. It says that, uh, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Job, why are you talking about stuff that you don't even know about? You know, you're saying things, you got words coming out of your mouth, but you have no knowledge. And he says, Girding up now the loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Okay, because first off, what does foundations of the earth even mean? I don't know. Okay, people ask me that all the time. What do you think that means? I don't know. I don't think Job knew either. Okay, I wasn't there when God laid the foundations of the earth. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like. I wasn't there. You realize how much stuff there is that we don't understand there's a lot that we don't understand. It says, Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? What does that mean? Does anybody know what that means? What do you mean by when he let, was talking about the measures and he stretched the line upon it? I don't know. Okay? It says, uh, Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who hath laid the cornerstone thereof? Can somebody please explain to me what the cornerstone of the earth is? I don't know. I, I have no idea. When, and, then, no, and notice this, verse 7. Okay, This is the verse that they're going to go to, which is a part of this. So whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened, or who laid the cornerstone thereof, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now what's interesting, and we could go on and on through Job's 38, 39, and 40, where God is talking to Job about things that he does not understand. And yet, we've got a ton of experts on this stuff today. 
We've got a ton of experts on this stuff. You know, they know they know what it is. All right. I mean, I'm sure people who believe the world's flat could probably tell you what the cornerstone is, but I I don't know what it is. Can you please show me where it is? Okay. Even if you're right, okay. Can you explain what that means and what that looks like and where it's at? I want to go see it. All right. But no. Here's there's a ton of stuff when it comes to creation that we don't get. There's a lot that we don't understand, and yet, often, the creature is going to go to the Creator and try to tell Him what to do, and try to question His ways, when we have, we have no idea how the planet even got here that we're standing on. Well, we know He spoke it into existence, but explain that. We can't explain these things. So God here is explaining all these, or He's asking Job all these questions, that Job cannot possibly understand, but yet, we're going to go to that verse because it mentions sons of God when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So that's got to be angels. Because that was, that, that was talking about when the angels were cheering on God's creation. Well, are we sure about that? Because I don't, I don't really get that question. I don't really get any of these questions. So are we sure that we're going to go to that verse? And notice, once again, this is an example of people that it's all the nut jobs they're all experts on the areas where the bible is silent or where it's cryptic and if you're going to go to that verse to prove that you're nuts okay it, it doesn't prove anything it that doesn't prove that they're angels okay but let me say this okay and this is where i'm going to make some people mad at me that are on my side in this doctrine did you know that okay I will say that based on this passage here, that it is possible that angels could have been called the sons of God. I also think it's possible, you know, so if that's the case, in chapter 1, it's possible these are angels presenting themselves before the Lord. But let me throw out another possibility. Let me throw out another possibility, because most people believe that Job lived around the time of Abraham. Well, does anybody remember somebody who was walking the earth during Abraham's time named Melchizedek that's referred to in the New Testament that most people would agree was the Lord? Did you know that Melchizedek was the king of Salem, which is where Jerusalem was? Or Jerusalem, it, it was the name of Jerusalem before it was Jerusalem. He was the priest of the Most High God. Jesus Christ was the priest after the order of Melchizedek. I think it's very possible that before Abraham's time, that the sons of God, believers, went to Melchizedek and offered up sacrifices and things. You say, well, where do we see that record? Well, we see it with Abraham. And Bible says in Hebrews that he didn't have beginning of days nor end of life. So I think, personally, Melchizedek was walking the earth the whole time. I, that's what I personally believe. I personally, this is my personal opinion. He said, well, you can't do that. That's what everybody's doing on the Nephilim doctrine, so I get to throw some of my own opinions out there too. If you're just going to throw your theories out there, okay, with no backing, because, you know, based on Job 38.7, then I'm going to throw out my theories. I personally think Melchizedek was the priest and was on earth offering sacrifices, appeasing the wrath of God, up until the time the Levitical priesthood came along, and then they did it. 
And then the Levitical priesthood, they did that very thing until they were replaced by Jesus Christ. And now Jesus Christ is, I believe there's always been a high priest. I believe it was Melchizedek before the Levites. And then I believe it was the line of Aaron. And then after they got done, I believe it went back to Jesus. And you know what? My theory is just as good as theirs. And probably better. That's just my opinion. But even if they are the sons of God in Job, or if the sons of God are, are angels, did you know that still doesn't prove that the angels intermingled in Genesis chapter 6? It still doesn't prove it. Okay, now go over to Hebrews. Now, this is something our side often does that I believe is, I believe is wrong. So I'm not going to go and just tell you angels are never called the sons of God. Well, they might have been. They, they could have been called that in, in Job. I don't think it hurts anything theologically if they were. And I know what you're already thinking. Hebrews 1.5. Well, let's go, let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. Look what it says. It says, For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son. He never called angels a son. Wait a minute. Let's keep reading. To which the angel said, Eat any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So notice here, too, the context, okay? Now, once again, sometimes we go looking for the Bible to find what we want to find. And if I want to just debunk this Nephilim doctrine, boy, if I could find a verse where God says, I never called angels sons, that would really be great, wouldn't it? But here's the problem. Hebrews 1 is explaining how Jesus was better than the angels. Okay? He was better than the angels. So to me, it would almost make sense. I think it's possible that he is pointing out the fact that to which the angel said, any time thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. He's doing that because of the fact that, well, angels are sons of God too. Yes, but they're not the only begotten Son of God, because isn't Adam referred to as the Son of God? Aren't we referred to as sons of God? But yet, we see that, you know, here he's shown how... So I, so to, ultimately what Hebrews 1 is about, it's showing Jesus is better than the angels. It's not trying to teach us the Nephilim doctrine is stupid. It's teaching us that Jesus is better than the angels. So don't go to Hebrews 1.5 and say that debunks all of it. No, that's you doing the same thing with the scriptures that they do. It, that's that's just like when they go to you know to Peter you know God spared not the angels that sin that's proof right there. Well, their own habitat. Well, are you sure that's what that means? Because the angels which kept not their first estate, are you sure that means that they you know intermingled with the daughters of men? How do we know that's not talking about the four angels that are bound in the great river Euphrates? Oh no, it's like. You know, you don't know why they're bound. No, I don't know why the four angels are bound in the great river Euphrates. I don't know what they did. I, I, I can theorize. I can speculate too. But you understand, people are just desperate to prove this doctrine or debunk this doctrine. And they're going to scriptures they shouldn't go to. I'm saying when it comes to this doctrine, we ought to focus on Genesis 4, 5, and 6. And in Genesis 4, 5, and 6, I think it's clear what the message is. And so another thing too that's interesting and, and I'm missing this in my notes. I'm going off memory here. Uh, I believe it's in 1 John 3. Is it 1 John 3? We're talking about not as Cain who's of that wicked one. All right. Um, let me see if we can find that verse. Okay, verse 12. 
Verse 11 says, For this is the message that we have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Now, Cain, who was of that wicked one. I've heard some people try to say that, you know, Cain was, um, you know, wasn't Adam's son, you know, Eve had a you know, child with the devil or something like that because he's, he's of that wicked one. That's stupid, all right? Folks, that is so dumb. That's as dumb as the whole idea of Adam's first wife being Lilith, okay? And I, and I don't know if you've heard that one. That's a stupid, just ridiculous thing. But, folks, some, some things are just so bad. People are just desperate to preach trash. But notice how Cain was of that wicked one. And it's not referring to Adam. It is referring to the devil, but is it referring biologically or spiritually? Spiritually, Cain was of that wicked one. And you know what else it says here in chapter 3? In the verse in verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Isn't it interesting in that same chapter where it's talking about Cain being of that wicked one, not talking about Adam, it refers to us, unlike the Jews, all right, who did not believe that Jesus was the Christ, that they were of that wicked one. Okay? It says we are sons of God. Well, you know what's interesting? In chapter 5, it's not. it doesn't say it's the generations of Seth. Even though I've been talking about the line of Seth, it calls the book of the, it's the generations of Adam. It's the generations of Adam. Okay? And it doesn't talk about Cain in chapter 5. It follows this line. And you know what? If you go to Luke, it follows the line of Christ backwards, you know, which was the son of Mahalia, which was the son of Cain, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of God. Which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. Isn't that interesting too? Adam is referred to as the son of God, and I believe his generations too were the sons of God. You say, were well, you going outside the book of Genesis for that? Yes, but the Nephilim people are too. All they do is go outside the book of Genesis. I'm showing just a common theme of sons of God being saved people throughout the Bible. Okay, And just because there's a possibility... That angels could have been called the sons of God, it doesn't mean that that's what they were in chapter 6. In fact, it's highly unlikely, and it's also not consistent with the rest of the Bible. You know, and another verse that our crowd likes to go to when Jesus talked about, you know, and they asked about, you know, whose wife she was going to be in the resurrection, and Jesus said, we're going to be of the angels in heaven, which neither Mary, you know, uh, we're not going to be married. During that time, we're going to be as the angels in heaven. So the Nephilim crowd will say, well, that's the angels in heaven. But what about the angels that left heaven? Okay, that's a possibility based on that passage alone. But the truth is, you have to prove from the scriptures that angels left heaven, intermingled with the daughters of men, and had children. I personally think it's highly unlikely Seeing that Jesus said we're going to be like the angels in heaven, and he didn't, you know, there's no distinction about the angels in heaven versus aren't in heaven. You know, we, we don't see that. People are just adding to that, and you can't do that, but they are dependent on it. So, understand, 
my main reason for believing what I believe about the sons of God being line, line of Seth is based on mainly on Genesis 4, 5, and 6. That a, a, that, and it, I believe it's also consistent with what we see in the rest of the Bible. And I'm going to show further proof next week too. Say, so, well, you, you, know, you didn't conclusively show it. Wait till next week. All right, we've got one more week. We go to chapter six. Just showing more. We're going to show more coincidences that just I think are going to be very hard to ignore. Okay, I, I'm getting my opinion, you know, my belief based on hard data, based on following all the details we're seeing from four, five, and six. The Nephilim crowd are basing their doctrine on possibilities from vague scriptures. Outside of the book of Genesis. We've got to be careful doing that. When you start interpreting the Bible like that, that that's where retardation comes from. It, that's what they do. They take an obscure passage somewhere that has nothing to do with the subject they're talking about, and they, they, just, they just run with it. Well, you know, the Bible says this right here, so this obviously would mean... No, let's focus on what the Bible's actually teaching. And so I hope this was a help, and uh, we'll, we'll leave you hanging for more next week. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. I pray that this was clear. I pray it all made sense. I pray you help us, Lord, to... Uh, I, I pray that this message, Lord, more than anything, Lord, doesn't prove who's right or who's wrong on this Nephilim doctrine, but it, it at least will show us how important it is that we uh, are responsible in our interpretation of the Scriptures. Lord, help us not to go to the Bible just looking for what we want to find, but just help us to look for what you've actually got right there in front of our faces. And I pray you'll help us to be honest in our interpretation of the Scriptures. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand. Let's go to page 460.